Amen. Well, it is good to see you all. Thank you all for being with us. It is good uh, to be back. Um, I do want to say a special thank you uh, to the two guys who are leaving stage right now, Corey and Forrest, for leading not only uh, in my presence two weeks ago, but in my absence uh, a week ago. Uh, man, I got to tell you, I don't think I have ever been as sick as I was uh, this past weekend, uh, but I am thankful uh, for the leadership. Uh, I'm thankful that I was able to call Corey uh, on a Saturday night at 9.30 and say, brother, I am not going to make it. And for him to calmly say, no worries, I got this. And for him to faithfully preach a sermon and for services to move as they did, I'm thankful for all of our VBS workers for making that happen. Um, it was miserable not being with you last week. Uh, it was miserable missing the first day of VBS, but by God's grace, I'm back and I'm thankful for that. So thank you, Corey. Thank you, Forrest, for leading us in worship, for preaching the word of God. Uh, man, I'm just grateful to God for what he's doing in the life of our church and grateful that we have brothers uh, who can faithfully continue to preach the word. Now, again, if you hear me, uh, I know I don't normally sound like myself. Uh, this is what I would call a uh, mid-season football voice coach uh, right now. Uh, if you've ever been around coaches, you know mid-season they hit that raspiness. Uh, that's what I'm hitting right now. So I'm going to try my best uh, in the midst of my passion and desire to preach the word to remain as calm as possible uh, so that I don't raise my voice and it crack and, and all who knows what may come out. So uh, just kind of bear with me in that this morning. Um, I'm thankful for your patience and flexibility in that. Well, we are back this morning in First Peter, specifically First Peter chapter 3. Again, Peter is still writing to the elect exiles. We've already seen Peter write about or to the elect exiles uh, for the purpose of encouraging them to continue to persevere uh, in the midst of persecution. Peter has also called uh, the, the exiles to continue in Christian living, and now he gets back into encouraging the believers for what may be coming for them next. And so what we're going to see Peter do this morning is he's going to address a fear that he now knows clearly exists amongst the exiles. Now, remember where our exiles are, and specifically remember where Peter finds himself during this writing. They are living in a land that is not their own. They are being blamed for things that they did not say, and they are being blamed for things that they did not do. And based on the communities, word is now traveling from community to community, from home to home, that like-minded people, like-minded brothers and sisters in Christ are being persecuted for their faith. They're being stripped of everything that they own. They're being thrown in prison only to be tortured. And many of them are simply being killed for their faith in Jesus Christ. So put yourself in that moment and answer the following question. If you were an elect exile living during Peter's day, living during a very hostile Roman empire, what would you be thinking at this moment? Maybe a better question is, what would you be doing or what would your thought processes be? Would you be trying to find a way to get away from the empire? Would you be trying to find a way to seek a safer community, to seek a safer place? Would you reconsider how you worship? Would you reconsider what you would say? I mean, think about this, because you see, for the elect exiles, 
I believe as believers in Jesus Christ, they wanted to remain faithful, yet at the same time, they probably wanted to fight. And it was in the midst of this faithfulness, in the midst of this desire desire to fight, that I believe that they were also dealing with their own fears of what may come. Now just think about our lives today. Think about what it is that we fear today. You know, recently a study was done uh, throughout the United States that asked people what were some of their greatest fears uh, that they were facing in our current time. And some, I'm going to give you some of the things that they said. On this list, many people said that they were afraid of attacks. They were afraid of, of, of mass shootings. They were afraid of things like terrorism, something that changed for our country, especially if you were alive and can remember where you were uh, during the 9-11 attacks. People also said that they feared disease and the repercussions of disease that may or may not come to our country. People said that they feared strangers. They feared new neighbors new neighbors moving into their community, and yes, they still feared death. On this list, some of the fears were a little more personal. Many people claimed that they feared about how one day their past may be exposed for the world to see. Others claimed that they had a fear of loneliness and living a life and dying a death where they would ultimately be alone. And yet what's interesting to note is throughout all of these fears, the number one fear that people had was still public speaking or public singing. So I am here to tell you today that if that is you, we are going to help you overcome your fear of public singing at Southside Baptist Church. You are now all invited to join our worship team, and we will help you overcome that fear. Okay? Sound good? Corey, your team just tripled. Congratulations, brother. For those who want to speak, I would invite you to come up and help us lead on a simpler process. Maybe come up and lead us in prayer on a Sunday night. That would be fantastic. Because guess what number two prayer, number two fear behind public speaking and public singing was? Praying in public. So we're going to help you overcome the top two fears that people have in our country immediately. Well, jumping back into our text here. What we're going to see Peter do this morning is he's going to address a specific fear among the exiles. You see, this morning we're going to see Peter write about how to overcome the fear of suffering. And so our time in the Word this morning is going to actually begin where our text ends this morning, which is actually Peter's main point, not only for this week's message, but also for next week's message as well, which is this, for Christ also suffered. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I would encourage you to turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 3, and we are going to begin reading in verse 13. And once you have found your place in the Word, if you can and you're able, I would invite you to stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God. Now this is Peter writing in 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 13. He writes, Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. 
Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. Now, if you were to go back and read this section, I believe that you would see that Peter all along, going even back to 1 Peter chapter 1, has been addressing how to handle fears all the way back to the very beginning of his letter. In fact, he opens on how we as Christians are called to live a Christ-honoring life within a hostile environment. So now Peter writes, on how to live as exiles in the shadow of persecution and the fear that comes with knowing persecution is just around the corner. So this morning, Peter will write to the exiles on how to not only see the persecution, but then to address it and to overcome that specific fear that now surrounds the elect exiles. And so this morning, I am hoping by God's grace that we too will see from Peter how we can and overcome our own fears of persecution, or better yet, how we can overcome our own fear of suffering. And so what I want us to do is I want us to begin where our text will end. Now notice this about this week's sermon. We are actually going to end or begin with verse 18, which is where we will end, but it will also be where we will begin next week's message as well. So here's my challenge for our church this morning. I would encourage you today to go ahead and underline or highlight 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, and then I would encourage you, if you've never practiced scripture memorization before, do your best to memorize 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18 before next Sunday, because we will say it again. But here it is, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. Peter writes, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death, in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Notice that Peter teaches the gospel here. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. Peter teaches us that Jesus Christ is the one who has set the example. It was Christ who also suffered. And yet it was through his suffering A suffering that led to death that has now shown us how we as Christians are to suffer for doing good, and not just any good, but a good that is clearly defined according to the will of God by the Word of God. So notice what Peter gives us in verse 18. He says that Jesus didn't deserve death, and yet it was Jesus who would become our penal substitution for our sin so that we could be adopted into the family of God so that we could be reunited with God. 
Now notice in the text, Peter says, the righteous died for the unrighteous. That unrighteous was us, sinners. You see, as as sinners in need of a Savior through Christ, we now have a one-time, permanent, non-repeatable substitution, and that is found in Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. It was Jesus who bore our punishment. It was Jesus who died the death that we deserved for our sins. And yet we know that Jesus' suffering and death was a part of God's plan. In fact, you look back at Isaiah chapter 53, verse 11, and you read these words, And by his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. You see, the suffering of Jesus Christ was known from the beginning of time. The suffering of Jesus Christ was a part of God's plan. It was prophesied hundreds of years before it ever came to be, and it was the perfect plan because it was God's sovereign plan. Continuing in this text, Peter says that he might bring us to God. Notice what Peter is saying about Jesus. He's saying to the elect exiles that Jesus Christ died to lead us from death to life. Jesus Christ was crucified so that we could be led from slavery to freedom. Jesus Christ died the death that we deserved and rose again so that we could be released from alienation and loneliness to come to a place where we now have knowledge of God the Father and we can now be a part of the family of God. This is what Jesus Christ did for us. And so Peter then ends this verse by saying that Jesus was put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Notice what Peter's teaching the exiles this morning. He reminds them that the cross may have put the flesh of Jesus Christ to death momentarily, but the cross did not kill Jesus. Sin did not kill Jesus. Satan did not kill Jesus. This was not the death of Jesus Christ. Why? Because we know the power and the wonder of the empty tomb and the resurrection. You see, because Jesus Christ lives, we can now be united with him in faith. Because Jesus Christ lives and because we can now be united with him in faith, we as followers of Christ can now know that death will not destroy us. In other words, death is not the end of our story. Now, I've been reading a lot of Alistair Begg lately. I don't know why I'm on an Alistair Begg kick, but if you have not listened to Alistair Begg preach, you should, simply for the accent, if you get nothing else from him. 
great accent, but brilliant theologian as well. Incredible writer as well. Alistair Begg, about this particular point, says this. He says, as believers, we have been born again with the living hope that because Jesus Christ was victorious over the grave, we will forever be with him. That is how we look at death. We look through it. And once we are able to die without fear, we are able to live without fear too. You see, if Jesus Christ can overcome death as his followers, then we can now rest in knowing that we too will overcome. So there is now no fear in death. As Christians, there is now nothing to fear. So if Jesus Christ can go through suffering, if the disciples, followers of Christ, can walk with Christ through suffering, then as Christians today, we can and should be able to handle and walk through our own suffering as well. And yet here is the motivation and the encouragement that we get from verse 18. Peter tells us the cross, the cross which shows us the atoning work of Jesus Christ is the foundation of our faith. It's the foundation of our lives. And so Peter literally ends, I believe, where we should begin, which is this. If Jesus Christ suffered and was victorious, then how should we respond to a world wrapped in fear? Because we know how to overcome. Because we know the one who overcame. So this morning, I want us to answer the question, how should we respond to a suffering world wrapped in fear? And I believe this is where Peter was going as he was writing verses 13 through verses 18. Now, again, I want to tell you this morning, as a believer in Christ, you're probably not going to hear anything new today. Okay? This is something that Peter has already established back in 1 Peter chapter 1. So this is hopefully a good word of edification, a good word of encouragement, maybe even a good reminder for you today. And if you do hear something that's brand new today, then praise God from whom all blessings flow. But what I hope is as believers in Christ, we would hear Peter's words according to the word of God, by the will of God, and be encouraged by the truth that we have before us this morning. So how should we respond? To a suffering world that is wrapped in fear. Peter first tells us this. As Christians, we should expect suffering. How do we respond? We expect it. We're prepared for it. Look with me again at verses 13 and 14. Peter writes, Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. Notice that Peter tells the church how to prepare for persecution. And yet, I want you to understand that Peter tells us how to prepare for persecution. He says you prepare for it by simply preparing for it. But I want you to pay attention to the footnote that Peter gives. Peter says, listen, prepare for persecution, expect persecution, but don't go looking for persecution and don't expect persecution around every corner. Now we know this because there's a great grammar lesson that's found right here in verse 13 and 14. Do you see the phrase in the ESV if you're reading it that says, even if you should? 
Now, this verb is actually written in the optative mood, which means that suffering for now, your key phrase, suffering for now, should be viewed as remote, doubtful, or a distant possibility. Now, you may have just heard that, and you may be thinking, wait a minute, Pastor. I thought you said that Peter told the exiles to expect suffering. And I thought you were telling us as Christians today that we should expect suffering. I believe if Peter was here today, he would say, yes, absolutely. As Christians, we should expect suffering. In fact, I'm here to tell you that suffering in some way, shape, or form is going to come for all of us. But I think what Peter's also teaching us today is this. Don't let your suffering worry you today. You don't know what's going to happen with the rest of this day. Only God knows. Only God has ordained this day. So I think what Peter is saying is, yes, expect suffering, but don't let the fear of what may come deter you from what is happening right now. In other words, Peter would say, listen, suffering is coming But understand that this is not the moment to go jump in your fallout shelter and wait for 30 or 40 years from now when it'll all end. That's just simply not true. In fact, I believe Peter takes it one step further and he says to the exiles, listen, you're looking around in fear. You're looking around in worry of who may turn you in. But don't expect everyone that you meet or encounter to harm you. I mean, think about that. What a horrible way to live. I mean, could you imagine what that would be like to live that way? I couldn't imagine that at all. I mean, I'm going to go and tell you, I look around this room and I've had some incredible conversations with a lot of folks in this room. I've sat down and talked to a lot of people about theology and about life and about what's happening in life. We've talked a good bit about ministry and work and, and what you're doing and sharing the gospel. But could you just imagine living in fear of the people you're talking to all the time? I mean, I couldn't imagine that. I couldn't imagine sitting in the home of, of like Daniel Simpson and hanging out with his children, and, and playing games. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you, Daniel, Daniel's a brilliant theologian. He's got good taste in worship music, and he will kick your tail at board games. Like, that is what I've learned about Daniel at this point, amongst other things, obviously. We, we share kind of the same weird sense of humor. But here's the reality. As a Christian, if I walked into Daniel's home and then left Daniel's home going, well, what happens if he turns me in tomorrow? What happens if he stabs me in the back? What happens if he kills me? What happens if he slanders me? What happens if he accuses me? What kind of life is that for us to live? You think, see, I think that's what Peter's telling the exiles this morning. He's like, yeah, look, expect suffering to come, but don't let the fear of suffering control who you are. Don't let suffering rob you of the opportunity to get to know one another. In fact, if you're going to do anything through suffering, do this. Live for Jesus Christ. Because the reality is, the only thing that needs to be feared is God himself, who according to Matthew chapter 10, judges the living and the dead. What can man do? In fact, Peter asks that same question as we continue in this text. He says, have no fear of them, nor be troubled. Notice that Peter calls the church to question that which you fear. You see, I want you to think about this this morning as Christians. When you think about the things that you're afraid of, when you think about the things that you're worried about, ask this question, is my fear right now healthy? 
Maybe a better question to ask would be this. The thing that I'm afraid of right now in this moment, is that particular fear biblical? You see, I think Peter tells us that we shouldn't fear what it is that the world fears in this moment, but rather Peter calls the believers to continue to be fearless, even though they found themselves living in a day and time where they could lose their property, they could be exiled, they could be thrown in prison, and they could be put to death simply for having faith in Jesus Christ. You see, I think at this moment, when Peter says, have no fear of them, nor be troubled, I believe this no fear moment serves a dual purpose for Peter and the elect exiles. First, Peter teaches them that we should not fear those who believe that they can persecute us. Because what can man do? At the same time, secondly, I believe he says that we should not fear those, nor be anxious or worried with the same things that the world is now worried about. Why? Because when a Christian faces troubles, when a Christian faces hardships, when a Christian faces persecution, when a Christian faces suffering, we know that we are doing so by the righteousness of God, according to the will of God, all for the glory of God. In other words, there is purpose in our suffering. You see, we recognize that in every moment of hurt, in every moment of heartache, God is still sovereign. In every moment of suffering, God is still seated upon the throne. In every point and piece of pain that we feel and experience, even in those moments, God has ordained those for our good and ultimately for his glory. Man, you don't understand what I'm talking about. Let me unpack this even further. I don't know about you, but I've been seeing and reading about how a lot of people are concerned about gas prices and concerned about food costs. I'm going to go ahead and tell you that that hit me this past week when I was at a, a local grocery store, and I am I am Mr. Great Value Everything, okay? I don't buy any name brand anything at all whatsoever except peanut butter, right? Like, <laughs> they, they have found a way to screw up peanut butter. That's the only thing I buy name brand on, Okay. I'm just going to go ahead and be honest about that, all right? Everything else, great value. I got up to pay for groceries this week, and I was floored at the cost of groceries. I mean, it was unbelievable. And I was like, how on earth am I going to continue to afford this stuff? I can't tell you how many times over the past few weeks, and you've probably been there with me, where I've gone to the gas station, and I was like, I am paying how much for gas? And what's funny is I have met more of my neighbors that way because we all share the same frustration. Literally heard a lady next to me going, how much am I paying for gas? And I was like, I know, right, sister? High five, you know? By the way, great way to meet people. I mean, I imagine that there are many of us here today some of my older folks, you probably remember this, and we're not that too far removed from this. I remember in the mid to late 90s paying less than a dollar for gas. Now, again, my gas wasn't as cheap as other folks. Oftentimes, we look at that as like, oh, that was in the 50s and 60s and 70s. No, 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 no. I remember mid to late 90s paying less than a dollar for gas. Who would have thought we'd live in a day and a time where we're almost paying $4? Who would have thought in a day and a time that once gas hit $3.90, we'd all get giddy about it? Good news, kids. We can afford Chick-fil-A, you know? But this is what the world is worried about. 
So if you're worried about food or you're worried about prices, here's what I want to say to you. God, as a Christian, we know this. God is sovereign even over that. How do we know that? Matthew chapter 6 tells us. We read, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, or what you will wear. The world fears suffering that comes in the form of traps. The world fears suffering that comes in the form of plots, in the forms of of backstabbing, even in the forms of war, whether it's international conflict or a war that happens within your own home. As a Christian, we hear that, and we should turn immediately to Psalm 91, verse 2, where it says, And I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. You see, as Christians, we cannot allow the world to determine what we should fear. Nor as Christians should we allow man to determine our fear of suffering or persecution. Why? Because as Christians, we believe that God is sovereign. Which means as Christians, we believe that God is in control over all things. So Christian, hear the word from Peter this morning in verse 13 and 14. Expect suffering, but do not live in fear of suffering, waiting for it to attack you around every corner. Rather, trust Jesus. Trust God, who is sovereign over this world, who is sovereign over our nation, who is sovereign over our government, who is sovereign over our daily lives, and live a life that brings him glory and speaks of the victory that we now have in Christ. Remember, that goes back to verse 18. So I want to ask you this morning, Christian, what do you fear? You know, it's funny to me because you can always tell what people fear. Watch their eyes. Where are their eyes fixed? What are they focused on? Are our eyes fixed on the suffering or the fear that comes with suffering, worried about what may happen tomorrow? Or are our eyes fixed on the one who has overcome? Where is our gaze? This leads Peter to his second point. So he first tells us that we should expect persecution, but keep our eyes focused on Christ. Verse 15, his second point on how to overcome suffering or the fear of suffering, he teaches us that we should honor Christ with our hearts. Read with me in verse 15. It says, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Now again, Peter just told us to expect suffering, but not to live in fear of it, but rather keep your eyes and your gaze fixed upon the Lord. And so now Peter's going to double down on the reasons not to fear suffering and not to fear the persecution that may come. In fact, when you read this in the Greek, the Greek word for the word honor here, excuse me, literally means set apart or sanctify or to make holy. Notice what Peter is saying in this moment. He says, since God is holy, since God is sovereign, then as Christians, we have nothing to fear because nothing happens apart from the will of God. You see, here was Peter's hope for the exiles, is that when persecution comes, that they would hold fast to their faith, that they would be reminded of their heart passion for Jesus Christ, and therefore they would live without fear and live with the boldness of who now provides for them and who now sustains them. 
In fact, it was Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the German pastor and theologian in World War II, who both silently and publicly opposed Hitler, said it this way. Those who are afraid of men have no fear of God. But those who fear God have no more fear of men. You see, as Christians, coming back to our text, Peter says that we should not fear man for what can man say and what can man do. In fact, in the text, he continues by saying, and always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is now in you. Notice what Peter is doing here. Peter just doesn't simply say to defend your actions, but he says, listen, no matter what suffering may come, when it comes, be prepared to respond. And when you respond, be prepared to make a clear case for faith in Jesus Christ. Why? Because as Christians who expect suffering, as Christians who know that there is a hope waiting for us, as Christians who know that God is sovereign in our celebrations and God is sovereign in our pain, we should be a people of peace, a people who speak hope. And so when suffering comes, others will look to us and they will want to know what it is about us that makes us different. So whether we find ourselves in informal conversations with family or we find ourselves in formal cases in the court because we're being persecuted for our faith, as Christians, we should always be prepared in season and out of season to testify to that which is ours in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is exactly what Paul teaches Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4. So here again, the clear call from Peter in verse 15. Do not fear suffering, rather expect it. And do not worry about what may come or what may be said, but rather prepare to give a defense, not of yourself, but of your faith. Notice what Peter is saying to the exiles. He's not just simply saying to them, hey, be prepared to defend yourself in persecution, but rather with your whole heart focused on Jesus Christ. When that suffering comes, when that persecution comes, prepare yourselves to evangelize those who may question you. I mean, talk about a turn in conversation. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, over this past year, myself, our elders, a lot of us have found ourselves having very excuse me, having very difficult conversations. And I can't help but wonder what would have happened if in a lot of those conversations, the people that we were talking to spent just as much time sharing the gospel and evangelizing in those conversations when it came to defending our faith. I mean, imagine how much different our lives would be if instead of simply defending our actions and our words, we also took the same amount of time to talk about Jesus Christ to remind each other as believers, to encourage one another, to edify one another. And then for those who persecute us because they don't understand why we believe what we believe, we boldly didn't just defend ourselves, but rather we said, I do what I do and I say what I say because Jesus Christ is Lord. Imagine how different those conversations would be. You see, what we see from Peter is this. His hope never wavered. In fact, in the midst of of living in an empire that hated him, his hope remained the same, which was to see people come to faith in Jesus Christ. In fact, he speaks of it as the text continues when he says, the hope that is now in us. 
The hope that Peter is referring to is life with Christ. The hope is eternity with Christ in heaven, enjoying the favor of God, living in the glory of God for all of our days. I'm going to tell you something. This reality of how fleeting life is on this earth has become very real for my family this week. Stop and think for a moment about your own life, your own days. And let me just share with you how fleeting life can be. Many, I don't know if many of you know this or not. A lot of you wished me a happy birthday about a week ago. I turned 41, okay? And I'm going to go ahead and tell you the two weeks of being 41 have been some of the hardest two weeks I've ever experienced in my life. I'm either ready for 42 or I want to go back to 40. I don't know. 41 has been tough. Let me tell you about it. First of all, I showed up at, ch- at church here at the work, and man, I was so encouraged by our staff. They, they loved on me well. They encouraged me. They got me a gift. Super sweet time with the staff. We had a wonderful day together. And then that night, my family took me out to dinner. It was a wonderful day. But let me tell you what happened right smack in the middle of my day on my 41st birthday. I got rear-ended at a red light. Happy birthday to me. Now, let me tell you the irony of getting rear-ended at a red light. The person who rear-ended me is one of the folks that works with one of the ministries that we supported through Vacation Bible School. We had never met until that moment. That was awesome. I, you couldn't ask to be rear-ended, but I guess Jesus would have been better at that point. But you really could have asked for anybody better, honestly. You know, <coughs> I say that, maybe one of my pastor friends, because I'd have made fun of him hard. But it was kind of a cool, surreal introduction. I was like, man, look at how God's at work. I mean, this was painful, but yeah, praise God. Here we are. We're meeting. Totally made the conversation awkward, but still kind of cool. So then here's what happened. Later that week, fast forward. I got to the weekend and I have been, I was as sick as I I have never been so sick in all my life. It was brutal. No, it was not COVID. Okay. Sick, just sick. So sick that I had to miss church a week ago. So sick that I missed the first night of VBS. And I just sat there at home, just miserable. And not just because I wasn't feeling well, but because I couldn't be with you. Because I love being here. I love being a part of VBS. And I couldn't be here. And then I got better. And then I was here Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. VBS, man, had a blast. Learned that I have a horrible Australian accent. Learn that several in our crowd have incredible Australian accents. Almost want to bring them up just so you can hear it for the simple pleasure. Particularly the guy that played the sea turtle all week. Not naming any names, Justin. Who's sitting right there on the front second row. <laughs> Sorry, brother. Oh, you're right here. <laughs> it just worked out that way. <clears throat> I had a couple kids pay me off if I told them. So there you go, kids. Now you know. Secrets out of the bag. But we had a wonderful week together. But let me tell you what happened on Thursday. We got a phone call that my father-in-law has taken a turn for the worse. And that's why you don't see my wife here today. Because we know at some point this week, he's not going to make it any further. And so over two weeks of being 41, I have seen 
just how fleeting life is. I have seen as how every, as every day goes by, as every year goes on, our bodies continue to get older. As we get older, things begin to hurt. As we get older, sicknesses tend to last longer. As we get older, our bodies begin to decay. Things begin to fall apart. We are not as young and as quick and spryful as we once thought. But here is the reality that I believe Peter wants us to know. He wants us to know that there is a day coming where one day this fleeting life will be over and we will be fully restored with God, with bodies that will be flawless and incorruptible and perfectly suited for new life and eternity. Simply put, no more raspy voice. So in the midst of our suffering, I ask us this morning, with a heart set on Christ, do you see what it is that we have to look forward to in the coming kingdom? Because my prayer, and I believe Peter's hope, was that our words would match the heart of David when he writes in Psalm 56, verse 11, In God I will trust, I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? But notice in our text, Peter continues, and he tells the exiles to speak, but to do so with gentleness and to do so with respect. In other words, Peter calls the church to speak with humility and speak with respect or fear and honor to those to whom we are speaking with. Now, honestly, this might be an odd choice for Peter. Because why would he choose words after telling us not to fear and telling us to simply be bold? Well, I believe that there's reasons for that. Reason number one is this, so that when false accusations come, when slander comes, we can respond gently and meekly because we know that God knows the truth. Because God alone is sovereign and God will be the one who justifies. We don't need to seek wrath. We don't need to seek vengeance. We don't need to match eye for an eye. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord, and he will justify. Secondly, I believe Peter tells us to speak with gentleness and respect because we should speak this way so that when others do seek to harm us with their words, that those who hear us and know us will know that these words of slander are simply a lie and that the accuser would become ashamed of their hurtful words. You see, I believe in this moment that Peter's reminding the church that, that those of us who are dealing with unjust attacks should recognize that these attacks are not against you personally, but rather these attacks are coming from accusers and slanderers who seek to hurt Jesus Christ and therefore seek to hurt the global church. <laughs> if you don't believe me, read the story of Saul in the book of Acts. When he encounters Jesus for the first time, what does Jesus ask him? Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Did Saul directly persecute Jesus? Physically, no. What did Saul say back to him? Who are you, Lord? You know, I find that question fascinating, that, that Saul would respond that way. Who are you, Lord? Think about that. Saul probably oversaw Hundreds of Christians being imprisoned. Hundreds of Christians being persecuted. Hundreds of Christians being killed. And I seriously doubt he remembered the name of any of them. And here he was saying, who are you, Lord? And how did Jesus respond? I am Jesus, the one whom you are persecuting. 
You see, I believe that Peter, coming back to our text, like that moment we see with Saul and his encounter with Jesus Christ, is saying, listen, not every slanderer can be stopped. Now, praise God, in Saul's case, it was stopped. He became a Christian. He became Paul. Great and wondrous things happened. But this is not going to be the case for every person. So instead of continuing to defend ourselves, I believe we need to recognize that when the attacks come, the attacks are not just coming against us. They're coming against the church. And so as Christians, we need to move on. We need to share the gospel. And we need to focus on what it is that God is doing in our midst. Can I just ask you this question? Have you, for those of you who, you know, you've, you've probably been accused of things, you've heard accusations, have you, have you stopped to think about what God is doing within our midst? I mean, this past week alone, let me give you an example. This past week alone, we had 40 plus kids at VBS. It was incredible. We had 40 plus kiddos. We had, we had parents. We had opportunities to share the gospel. We had opportunities to disciple our children on the sanctity of life. We had an opportunity to, to meet new, new parents, to swap information and to share Jesus Christ with them. And guess what? As Christians, that is our call. As, as, as VBS, we had an opportunity. If you look to the right and my left, you see stuff collected. That's just some of the stuff that the kids collected as a ministry to, to further advance the kingdom work that's happening in our community. That is the call of the church. You see, our call as Christians is not just to go to the furthest points of the world to share Jesus. The call of the Christian is also to share Jesus right where the Lord has us. The call of the Christian is also to share Jesus with the children that he has placed in our care. That is one of our greatest mission fields that we often neglect. So Christians, in looking at verse 15, I believe that Peter would want us to see that when we honor Christ with our hearts, we are prepared to defend. But at the same time, as Christians who want to honor Christ with our hearts, we aren't just prepared to defend, we're prepared to evangelize, and then we're prepared to move on when accusations and slander simply won't stop. So I think in this moment, Peter is saying, do not lose sight of what Christ has done. Don't lose sight of what Christ is doing, not only in our lives individually, but in our lives corporately as a church. So just as we asked a moment ago, where are your eyes fixed? I think the question we need to ask is this, where's your heart? Is it focused on the worry and the fear and, and what may or may not be said by others? Or are you present here and now? Are you focused here and now in worship? Are you focused on the very word of God? This leads to our third and final point. Verses 16 and 17, where Peter tells us that we are to have a good conscience fixed on the will of God. Now I'm going to move through this quickly, but Peter moves from talking about expecting suffering and how we should keep our hearts focused on Jesus to now moving further into how we should conduct ourselves in light of the fear of suffering that many of the exiles are experiencing. He says in verse 16, and having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Notice that Peter reminds the exiles to continue to follow the example of Jesus Christ, whose behavior was marked by good conduct. You see, Jesus did nothing wrong. Jesus did nothing illegal. And yet it was Jesus who was falsely accused. And so Peter calls the exiles to be confident in doing good, to show no wrong, to speak no wrong, so that we can have confidence that our actions will be seen in light of glorifying God. You see, for the Christian, 
keeping a good conscience, keeping a mind focused on Christ. It should always be the motivation for us. Uh, Jesus Christ should always be the motivation for us when we find ourselves in the most provoking situations. You see, our thoughts, our mentality should match that of Jesus Christ. It should be similar to what Paul taught the church at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, when he says, be angry and do not sin. In fact, Peter is going to double down in his text in verse 17. He says, for it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Notice that Peter reminds the church that we may suffer because we've done wrong. Sometimes when we do wrong, there are consequences to our actions. That is true. However, as Christians, there may come times where we suffer unjustly. And if we suffer for doing good, then notice what Peter is telling us. We then demonstrate not only our union with Christ, but we can, as Christians, expect and look forward to being with Christ for eternity, just worshiping and relishing in his glory. So I believe Peter's takeaway would be this. Christian, do good. Do good according to the will of God. Christian, suffer well. Maintain a pure thought. Maintain pure motives. And when you suffer unjustly, remember that you are being compared to Jesus Christ. So follow his example and find grace in suffering. So I ask, when suffering comes, what is your response? And I'm not just talking your actions. I'm talking about your mind, your mindset. What are your thoughts? What are your, what's your motivation? Do you respond like the world with fear, with anxiety, with anger, with worry? Or do you respond with anger or vengeance? Or do we respond like Christ? Having a mind of Christ, a passion focused on Christ, eyes fixed on Christ, trusting God, sharing the gospel, and hoping that in the midst of our suffering, that God would continue to be glorified. And this brings us back to where we started, the suffering of Jesus Christ. More on that next week. But for today as Christians, man, we are not of this world. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. So when suffering comes, how should the Christian respond? Peter says to us today that we respond by expecting suffering, keeping our eyes fixed on who Christ is. Secondly, we honor Jesus Christ with our hearts, meaning that our passion remains solely for him and that we use that suffering to continue to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And we keep a good conscience, meaning our mind stays focused on the will of God by knowing the word of God. And as Christians, we have nothing to fear because God is sovereign. And here's the beauty of it. We don't have to simply say that God is sovereign and therefore in control over all things. That's true, but check this out. Not only is God sovereign, God is on our side. Jeremiah chapter 20, what does Jeremiah say about God? God? He says, but the Lord stands beside me like a dreaded warrior. Do you understand that? The champ is here. His name is Jesus, and he stands by our side. And here's the beauty of God. God 
was victorious, God is victorious, and God will be victorious. So Christians suffer well. Follow the example of Christ who also suffered. And may we give him the glory in what he calls us to. Let's pray together.